Hello, everybody. Once again, a, a very, very, very warm welcome to our, our Wednesday sessions together here at the OMC. Welcome to you from wherever you are in the world and whatever time of day or night it is for you. I'll introduce our, our guest speaker in a moment. But just to say the subject we're going to address this evening, mindfulness and the climate crisis, I can't think of many things that are more important than that. The, the devastating effects of the climate crisis and the suffering to all forms of life on this earth are, are evident to us every day now. And perhaps one thing you might not have heard is the, I mean, here at OMC, we're particularly interested in mental health. And last month, only last month, the prestigious science journal Nature published a preprint of a study of 10,000 16 to 25 year olds from countries all over the world showing how profoundly what's now called eco-anxiety is affecting their mental health and their daily lives. Anxiety, sadness, fear, anger are now dominant factors in the mental health of our young people. One of the, uh, one of the things that's a contributing factor to this is the fact that our governments aren't doing enough they see the urgency of the challenge our governments don't seem to be responding so it's quite interesting that here in the uk uh, at the end of this month we'll be hosting the next cop 26 un climate change conference when our governments across the world have a chance to do something Jeroen Jans is involved in all of those areas I just mentioned from mental health to government policy. Jeroen, we are just so delighted to welcome you. Jeroen founded the Inner Green Deal. He is a mindfulness trainer. He works with um, organizations and in fact with the European Union, working with decision makers and policy makers particularly on, if you like, how can I say this, how to address the shift in mindset um, that's necessary for us to take the, the action that we all need to take and respond to the challenges that are facing us. Um, so he works with policymakers, but also bringing into the work the mindfulness trainers who can really perhaps give some 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 useful input to this, to this such, such an important debate. So Jeroen's uh, subject this evening is how mindfulness is helping us respond to the unfolding climate crisis with compassion and a sense of purpose. And as I said earlier, I can think of very few more important things we could be doing just now. So I think that's all I need to say. And it's now my great pleasure to hand over to you, Ruin. Thank you, Ruin. Thank you very much, Alison. Um, very uh, touched by your words. And I'm deeply honored to be invited by the Oxford Mindfulness Center, which of course has been at the forefront of mindfulness research and training 
for as long as I can remember. I have um, very fond memories of my own mindfulness training and uh, teacher training. We had the pleasure to um, follow courses with Mark Williams, who for me really embodies everything I value about mindfulness, incredible depth of being and very light, friendly and accessible at the same time. So it's uh, truly wonderful. And, um, and yet I would say as much as I felt at home in the world of mindfulness from the beginning, and also intrigued by, you know, how to help to open my mind and my heart. I felt that at the same time, you know, in a way I didn't quite fit in perhaps. Uh, I didn't fit in the part of me that was restless, the part that was perhaps ambitious and idealist and was looking for ways to change society and things around me. The activist uh, part of me, if you will. And I was angry about the destruction of our natural world. And I, and I felt sometimes a little bit frustrated that mindfulness seemed sometimes focused on fixing ourselves when perhaps we should be fixing society. And it took me really some time to see through that separation that, you know, I didn't need to live in two separate worlds, the one of a, let's say, mind, you know, a social entrepreneur focusing on these societal challenges. And on the other hand, the one of the mindfulness world where I was looking for much rest and nourishment. So, and in fact, it took me time to see that impactful leaders, social entrepreneurs and, and change makers managed to unite these two worlds and see it all as one ever-changing interdependent world. And that led me to discover the works of Joanna Macy, the Buddhist scholar and environmental activist, and Thich Nhat Hanh, the Zen teacher and the uh, Vietnamese activist. And I started to see how mindfulness is not just about stress management or, or mental care, but a key ingredient for systemic change. And that it offers not only a framework for individual change, but also for social change. You know, and I discovered that actually there's a long tradition within Buddhism and many other spiritual traditions of those who do not focus necessarily on individual enlightenment, but on the greater good. And I felt very touched by the story of the Bodhisattvas in particular. And I discovered that compassion was the key quality to move from an individual focus to a collective and social perspective to move from merely observing to acting. And because you really listen, once you listen and open up to others, you experience how similar we all are. And once you notice the suffering in our lives, in the lives of others, in particular wildlife, you, know, you change and you want to reduce that suffering. It's, it's natural. And so with time I discovered that cultivating stillness and compassion wasn't actually softening my activism. And instead it actually clarified and strengthened my determination. And I became more confident in bringing in the perspective of nature and the suffering of nature into my mindfulness courses. Also where this was initially less obvious. I work within 
as Alison said, I work within corporations and international institutions like the EU. But, you know, as my colleague Liana Stefan often says, mindfulness and compassion cultivate in a way a soft and open front and at the same time a strong back. I've come to really agree with that. That mindfulness opens the heart and enables a deeper connection to others. While at the same time, strengthens our values, our principles and our connection to the ground that we stand on. We simply become stronger without losing our connection and our openness and our caring nature. So my talk today is about that integration between individual mindfulness and a more social and a more engaged mindfulness. Of course, in the context of the probably the, the biggest challenge of our time, which is climate change and the loss, terrible loss of biodiversity. And I hope that at the end of this hour, that those who are looking to integrate the care for nature into their mindfulness work will know where to start. And I hope that those that are looking for a specific mindfulness-based sustainability curriculum know who to contact. And I hope that those that are already on their way, because many do already this beautiful work, that those feel emboldened to continue their work and know that they're not alone. And then they can connect to like-minded practitioners. So my talk is in a way an invitation, an invitation to consider that there is more in you, or as they say in French, il y a plus en vous. And that we as mindfulness community have something special to offer to the world and are well-placed to accelerate the transition to a greener and more fair world. And perhaps even going a step further, that if we are well positioned to facilitate the transition to a more balanced, more green and a more harmonic way of living, then it is our responsibility to step up and to do, to take on this role. Now, before we look at the role of mindfulness in more detail, let's, let's zoom out for a moment and look at the state of our planet. And I would like to invite you for a moment to try to complete the following sentence. And you can complete that sentence in your mind if you're listening to this, or if you're here live with us, you can also put it in the chat. So I'll, I'll just say slowly the sentence to you and then see if you can complete it. So the sentence is, when I think about the state of the planet, I feel just take a moment how do you feel about the state of the planet so just wait do i see sad hopeful scared helpless frustrated numb dismayed grief upset heartbroken guilty despair worried so they're coming really quick <laughs> So thank you for that. So really strong, quite strong words um, that give meaning to how you feel right now. And you're right, there is much, much reason to be upset, as Alison just said. Since 1970, we have seen a decline in the animal population of 
I'll repeat that, since 1970, we have seen globally a decline in animal population of 68%. We find ourselves in the midst of the sixth massive extinction, and we continue to consume and pollute and cut trees as if it's okay. You know, the previous mass extinction period was when the dinosaurs went extinct. This was 65 million years ago. And we happen to live at another major juncture of history. You know, another way to put our current world in perspective is our absolute dominance. The current estimate of biomass of mammals is now as follows. Humans, 36%. Livestock, our livestock, so I'm talking cows, pigs, 60%. Wildlife mammals, 4%. So I'll just say that again. So of all biomass of mammals, on our planet, only 4% represents wildlife. The rest is us and our cows and our pigs and our chicken. Why did we let it come so far? That's a question, it's overwhelming. But many social scientists like Karen O'Brien or Christine Wamsler believe that essentially we have become disconnected from nature up to a point that we don't see or experience or feel the suffering of nature. And in our clean cities, production modes, we have largely externalized nature. We don't see it anymore. Out of mind, out of heart, right, they say. And not just nature, but we've also externalized the suffering of people who are as much a victim of the industrialization and globalization. And, you know, of course, there's much more to it. You know, this is a simplification of reality. But um, it's a compelling hypothesis to see the climate crisis as a crisis of essentially relationship. You know, a crisis of that is man-made being disconnected from where we come from. And if that is true, then perhaps it's also becoming clear what to focus on now and why we as a mindfulness and compassion community have a role to play. So again, I would like to invite you to complete another sentence. So now when I think about my role in addressing climate change, I feel, you can complete the sentence. So when I think about my role in addressing climate change, I feel, just take a moment, committed, cold, confused, ashamed, disempowered, powerless, so small, accountable, powerless, responsible, overwhelmed, confused, need to connect, lonely, Cautiously optimistic, yeah, so thank you for that. So, so really a wide range, um, again, um, but also quite strong emotions again. And um, 
you know, maybe there's also the sense of not knowing what to do. Uh, perhaps you're even wondering whether you have a role. But, you know, I think it's, it's important to realize that in our everyday life, we already play a role, right? Every day you make hundreds of small and, and big decisions. You know, you either cycle or you drive to work. You either have that burger in the restaurant or a vegetable dish. You either leave the lights on or turn them off, you know, to put it very simple, very blunt. So perhaps in a way, you know, it's less about crystallizing in detail formal role and more about examining how I show up in life, what I bring to my family, to my community, and what I say in my courses when I teach mindfulness or when I'm with friends. So maybe let's just take a moment to reflect now on what mindfulness exactly and what compassion really has to do with climate change and, and how we can work on that. And um, as Dan Siegel said in a previous keynote, mindfulness was developed at a challenging time and for challenging times. And history has seen many challenges uh, and ancient times were full of them, right? So let's not forget that the average life expectancy at the time of the Buddha was was not 82 as it is now, right? And most people probably didn't even get to 40. So mindfulness has a lot to offer on suffering and relating to suffering, responding to suffering. And of course, attention is a key quality and awareness is, in particular awareness when, you know, you, you, you that quality that helps us to zoom, zoom out really and, and see patterns and recognize, in a way, as they say, the illusion of separation. You know, it helps us to see reality more clearly, which is incredibly important. And, and thanks to COVID, I think this is no longer something that people are blind to. I think people now understand that we are connected. But as I already mentioned, Research on agency and, and pro-environmental behavior shows in particular the power of compassion and its role to act as a bridge to action. And um, I, I can't emphasize that enough, the, the word action. And of course, in a mindfulness context, sometimes people get a little bit uneasy about that. But I feel it's important to highlight that. And when you look again at the research, and I mentioned Christine Wamsler, Karen O'Brien, many others, the same research shows two crucial elements about compassion that I think you all know. First, that it's a natural quality. You know, it's a quality that we observe in people all around the world, but also with animals and animal behavior, beautiful examples of compassionate behavior. And then the second important finding uh, that's relevant to dealing with compassion is that to the extent that the quality of compassion has faded, it can be retrained, obviously, like all natural qualities. And then, you know, if I, if I talk about myself and, and our work for the Inner Green Deal, we come to our purpose. Our purpose is to help people reconnect, reconnect to nature. It's as simple as that.
not necessarily easy, of course, um, as it involves helping to reconnect to ourselves, reconnect to our environment, helping to stabilize attention, being less distracted, increase our awareness, help people to open up and open up to the pain and suffering of wildlife. And reflecting again on these statistics that I mentioned, they are so overwhelming that sometimes I think we just don't want to see it. And then when we feel and experience that pain, helping them to regulate the feelings of anxiety, of guilt and sadness that can be sometimes so overwhelming. But once people move beyond this point of empathy, which is difficult, right? So just to just only feel pain. But once you see our interconnectedness, you experience the interconnectedness, people naturally take the next step to reduce suffering, the suffering that is inside of us and outside of us. That's our natural way. And I guess this brings me to zoom in about on our initiative. And, you know, it may be helpful at this stage to talk a little bit about, well, okay, this sounds maybe interesting, but what is it that you concretely do? Um, so maybe I'll just talk a little bit about our initiative and, and where we come from. So apart from being a mindfulness teacher, I, I practice with um, Avaris and Avaris is a, an organization that brings mindfulness-based trainings and leadership development to organizations. You know? So the EU, big companies like Bosch and IKEA and Unilever, but also well, as well as public institutions like the UK Parliament. I saw Susan here in the audience, so Susan's training to members of Parliament. And it's been founded by Leon Stefan and Chris Tamgidi, who I know some of you know. And, you know, we, we do a lot of work in the, uh, in the European institutions. So we work with um, um, many people from many departments, including people from DG Klima. And we're coordinating, in fact, all mindfulness work and all resilience work for all 40 plus EU institutions. It's quite a bit of work. And, um, you know, we realized that because we're in such a privileged position, we felt that we should address and bring in this work and address the state of our planet and how we can relate to it. You know, as I said, that given that we work with the EU that created the European Green Deal, which focuses on innovation and transforming the way we work and we eat and travel and everything, we decided to create the inner Green Deal to facilitate a shift in mindset that we feel is really needed now to accelerate the transition. And we decided to start, you know, as I said, to work with the people we already are in touch with, that we already work with, decision makers, policy makers, as we simply feel that this is the quickest way to have impact. But we also support grassroots movements, particularly the mindfulness community, and that's why I'm here today, and encourage them to take on a role so that we together can have much more impact. So where are we now with this? So we, we started to experiment about two years ago and we started doing simple workshops and then start develop our own program. And we knew we wanted to combine the, the inner world and the outer world. And we were influenced by many, and in particular, Joanna Macy, 
uh, what I mentioned already, uh, the work that reconnects. I, I studied that for, for more than a year, the work of Otto Scharmer, Theory U. And we reviewed lots of literature, of course, and found much guidance in the work of Christine Wamsler of Lund University, whom we started to collaborate. And I hope that we can put some of this in the chat so that people can look at that uh, evidence and look at that work because it's really inspiring. We, we literally spent thousands of hours, I think, over the last few years to, to explore and discuss and fine tune our views on, on this and define the curriculum. And then at a certain point, we just committed. So we um, decided to launch a program, test it with 100 leaders at least. So we found five groups who wanted to work with us, two at the EU. So 40 leaders from the EU participated, German multinational and two open groups. And some of them are perhaps here tonight. And, um, you know, it's a program like any other program, seven modules. It's online, which is very curious for a nature-based program. Um, but we found that that actually surprisingly works. You know, we, of course, ask people to do nature walks. We, of course, ask people to practice every day. Um, we ask people to read the research. And we ask people to share and comment on that. And we have an online you know, learning platform where people can um, connect and socialize and meet up in focus groups. So it's quite interactive. And so maybe interesting to mention the findings that Christine Wamsler and, and our team have been working on. And one of the very interesting findings and important for this um, forum to mention is that, you know, we had a very long pre and post survey and there we found a clear linkage between compassion on the one hand and pro-environmental behavior on the other hand. So just to put it simply, the more compassionate someone um, self-assessed them to be, the more likely they were to be acting pro-environmentally. I, I guess it's not, you know, so surprising, but I can say that some of the other factors um, of mindfulness qualities didn't show such a strong correlation, hence our really focus on compassion. Another slightly obvious finding was that there was a significant, significant increase in connectedness to nature, um, you know, through our nature walks, or, you know, through studying nature, through opening up to nature, again, obvious. And then I think this is really important. The third finding was that we found a considerable integration of climate matters into their work and a clear intention to do so over the next 12 months. And this is why we work with companies. And this is why we work with people at the EU, because if these type of people go through such a process and start integrating their work, well, you know, those are decision makers, policy makers. We hope that that makes a difference. Now we're planning to do more of that. And um, we're fortunate enough that some of our programs can continue now beyond the pilot stage. And we're actually next week starting a new cohort at the EU. Now, if we come to the mindfulness community, so those that are listening to this podcast or that are live here, um, I would first say that I'm very happy to see recent interest in a more engaged and socially minded mindfulness. And I'm actually not as pessimistic as some people are. I see Peter was saying cautiously optimistic. I, I share that. Um, but if we look at the work of spiritual leaders, like, of course, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, 
Tignatan and many others at, at all levels. I think they are talking about this. The sport of indigenous leaders who are talking about this, who have a very natural and very guiding role, can so much learn from them, very justified role in this. And they're taking on this role, which is really great. Um, the work of academics, like I already mentioned, Christine Wamsler, Karen O'Brien, many others. The work of mindfulness centers, such as OMC, who's opening tonight their doors and their arms to, to listen to this, really important. Also like to mention particularly the mindfulness initiative, um, Jamie Bristow doing great work, writing about agency and the role of mindfulness. Pilar is here, I see. Um, and then we work, and then the work of thousands of, you know, mindfulness and compassion trainers and practitioners who potentially could stand up. Some are already doing that, many actually doing it, but potentially thousands more could stand up and bring this into their work. Simply start talking about it. You don't need to have a detailed curriculum to bring in questions in your program. How do you relate to it? What does this mean to you? you know? And you can bring it into your communities and organizations, um, families. I guess, you know, I would like to support you or, you know, with our Integrating Deal initiative, like to support you and this community. And we, we you know, we offer activities such as uh, retreats and um, free retreats, I like to say, intro programs. We have a podcast as well, the Integrating Deal podcast. And we will be part of the COP26 program um, next month where we're really trying to, again, position the need to address the human dimension of change. Um, and I think it, uh, I hope it will be heard clearly there. And as the end of 2022, next year, we'll be launching a mindfulness-based sustainability uh, program. We call it, uh, with Christine, sorry, a bit of suspense, we call it MBST. <laughs> So in a way, the equivalent of what MBSR or M MBCT are in their field to help people come to terms to the climate environmental crisis. Alison was talking about the anxiety that people have and that we see tonight as well. And then, of course, you know, cultivate important qualities such as awareness and compassion and courage to bring people into action. And like our leadership programs and organizations, we want to cultivate both the inner and outer change and generally really wake people up and bring them into action. So this is really a call for action, I guess, also tonight. So uh, I think we offering quite a few things. I'm really curious to discover what others are doing. I'm really open to collaborate somehow. Obviously also looking for more funding to be able to offer free courses. Um, to continue to develop programs. And if you're in a position to help us, really contact us, that'd be great. Now, where does this bring us at this time? Um, maybe it's time to just let this sink in a moment and think about what this means to us, how we relate to nature, how we relate to our work, what is our work, and what can we do? What, how can we contribute in a small or bigger way? And, um, you know, for me, it's been a real journey too. I, you know, I grew up in the forest in the Netherlands and I have a deep passion 
for spending time in forest. But, you know, I have also worked years in corporate life thinking not so much about this, unfortunately. So, you know, even in the mindfulness community, when I talk to people about this, there's a certain wariness sometimes about it or hesitation. And uh, I feel that we shouldn't judge that. I feel everyone needs time to work on this, to discover what this means for them. Um, took time for me too. And I'm certainly not perfect and we don't claim to be perfect. But if we can start to consider and open up to simply what is here now, the suffering, incredible loss of biodiversity and our natural desire to do something about that, I think that might be a good start. And maybe this is a good moment now to for me to become a little bit more silent and why don't we practice together? We've developed a practice called environmental compassion, which I'd be very honored to be able to share with you. And, um, you know, if it's okay, why don't we do that together now? And maybe if you've been sitting for a while, this is a good time to maybe just to stretch, to get up for a moment, you know, take a, a deep breath in, you know, and uh, just see what you need right now. <clears throat> and um you know and then i invite you to sit down again and take your seat on a chair or wherever you're sitting on and you know as usual make sure your back is upright and your shoulders are relaxed right your head is nicely balanced I invite you to take a deep breath and exhale completely. You know, and noticing what releases inside of you when you exhale. So you can try that again, taking a deep inhale and then exhaling again. And just becoming still and Noticing how you're sitting here. Becoming aware of your body as a whole. And then I invite you to bring to mind someone you feel close to someone you care about deeply this could be a child or family member or someone else whoever naturally warms your heart take a moment to choose someone And now let the image of this person arise in front of you. Look into the face of this person. 
and just notice what you sense now, your face or your chest or somewhere else. You may find it helpful to place one or both hands on your heart area. And keeping the image of this loved one in mind and realizing that this person breathes as you do and is subject to aging and to sickness and like you wishes to be loved to be free from suffering. So wish this person from a deep place of affection to be well using the following phrases. May you be safe. May you be free from suffering. May you go through life with love and courage. Repeating the phrases in your mind or perhaps in your own words, being curious how they resonate within you. May you be safe. May you be free from suffering. And may you go through life with love and courage. And just realize for a moment how similar we all are. With similar needs for safety, love, and connection. And that we are all experiencing the impact of climate change in one way or the other. And that depending on circumstances or where we're born, that these consequences of climate change impact us differently. So extend for a moment your wishes to those experiencing difficulty through droughts, flooding or wildfires. May you be safe. May be free from suffering. And may you go through life with love and courage.
Now expand the love that you have in your heart and bring to mind a wild animal. This could be a deer or squirrel or bird, whoever naturally warms your heart. Just take a moment to choose a wild animal that you care for. Then let the image of this being arise in front of you. Imagine this being in their natural habitat, wherever that is, perhaps a forest or savanna or in another place. Seeing this being in their full splendor, breathing as you do. And seeing them with their offspring, nurturing them. And realizing how similar the needs of this being are to you and how these needs are challenged by climate change. So wish this being to be safe and well. May you be safe. May be free from suffering. And may you live your natural life. Repeating the phrases gently in our mind. May you be safe. May you be free from suffering. May you live your natural life. Now opening up to all wildlife and all of nature. And realizing again that depending on circumstances and location, climate change impacts wildlife and the natural world differently. So extend your wishes to those animals, and trees and plants that are suffering from droughts or flooding or wildfires.
may you be safe. May you be free from suffering. And may you live your natural life. and sensing our shared nature and our lives are interdependent, connected. And just being curious what you notice now inside of you your body, which sensations do you experience, your chest, your belly, other parts of your body, and how do you feel? And then taking another deep breath. And on the exhale, releasing whatever needs to be released. Gently opening your eyes and returning to this moment with a sense of love and connection and courage. Just taking a moment to transition now. Maybe you want to stretch or... And in a moment we're going to open up for questions or comments. So feel free to use the chat now. Um, just let me know if you have any observation about the practice any questions about that or perhaps about what I shared before about responding to climate change, the role of compassion in our specific role that we all have or perhaps individually have and how this relates to your own world. Um, yeah, so I really open it up now and maybe um, feel free to share that right now and otherwise maybe Allison wants to just step in and come in and raise any other questions that there are maybe present. Thank you. So this may be interesting, Pilar is asking how people respond to compassion and these types of practices. And um, yeah, I don't know, everyone responds differently, I guess. 
I can say it's quite interesting when uh, we practice when organizations, people in suits, and invite them to consider um, the impact of climate change, climate crisis, biodiversity. I think it's very, very similar. You know, people are devastated, feel overwhelmed, and it's always the same broad range of emotions that come up, often strong emotions. And um, so I feel, you know, very strengthened in our common humanity in a way, you know. So, um, you know, some people are very um, feeling that quite negative and, and helpless about this. When we facilitate a program, we tend to, you know, be somewhat more neutral about that. You know, honestly, I don't think we all know exactly the future, who can. Um, so I don't like to take a predetermined position and feel that we're in a particular predicament or we're stuck. And I like to more act from a place of possibility. And regardless of the future, a little bit like the bodhisattvas, you do what's right. You act, we bring this in, and we let go of what's coming out of it, you know, whether or not we have a chance. I feel we need to step up. Um, you know, I have three boys, three children at home. What am I going to do? You know, they ask me often, well, we do what we can, you know, and then we'll see. So I think this is something that mindfulness, again, is very well positioned to help us with, is to be with the difficulty and not needing to resolve it or needing to know what the answer is, but having the courage to open up, go there, and then to see what we can do. What is the next little step? And that's sometimes people ask this, well, what is it concretely that I can do? As I said, in everyday life, we make hundreds of decisions, start acting there. But in particular, as mindfulness facilitators, we have huge leverage. We have, can have huge impact. So I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an end question. Can we act in our personal lives in a way that we feel is right? And at the same time, can we act with that same integrity when we show up at work or when we show up in our community? Can we then also bring this up without judging, without needing to be things in a particular way, but just doing what is right. So, um, yeah, so I guess I would start there and uh, I feel lots of questions coming in. So Alison, I think I may need a little bit of... Um, I, I actually think, Jeroen, that what you've said answers the theme of quite a few of the questions, which are how, mm. what can I do apart from my recycling and how can I work mm. with the sense that it's all too much and too big. Mm. <laughs> if the, the well, two or three questions uh, they're phrased in terms of corruption which mm. I think perhaps one could could rephrase that as the, the kind of actions that are basically to do with selfishness and greed aren't they mm. we first who cares about anyone else and how can compassion overcome that this sense of the systemic corruption is so big yeah and compassion begin to make inroads into that. There's a few questions around that that I think would be quite interesting. 
Yeah, you know, it's um, really difficult, I feel. Um, you know, I don't claim that um, this is going to address and make this go away um, immediately. And, you know, sometimes we just have to meet the people where they are um, and listen to them. And that's actually a very surprising um, thing to do sometimes, you know, not to immediately engage. What sometimes activists tend to do is to say to a company, you know, this is greenwashing, you know, you're full of, you know, you're, you're not credible, you know, it's very tempting to go there. And um, actually, you know, feel it's not so constructive and helpful. And I feel that, you know, if you just realize that at those companies or those organizations, they consist of humans. And for instance, I know big organizations that are not known for being green have massive mindfulness communities. I know one particular organization, I won't name it, over a thousand mindfulness practitioners, very thriving community. And so where do we start there? I feel we start at the human level. We start to listen. And I feel like with mindfulness, you can't really go wrong. It's the invitation to look ourselves, look ourselves in the mirror and to examine what is here and then to examine the facts, to examine the facts about climate change. And I have deep confidence that once we start to engage, start to listen, that people will feel touched. And this is really crucial because when a person feels touched, feels listened to, and feels heard, there is an opening. And from that opening, we can start to have a broader conversation. But I feel it really comes down to, and this is why it's so vital, you know, and I hope many people feel that they can act on this, that we are well-placed. We are well-placed as mindfulness practitioners to make a difference, in particular in places that are not so open and not so green, because these are people that are suffering. Wasn't it Rilke who said that something like, you know, those that um, are cruel are perhaps the ones that most need to be loved, right? And something along those lines. So I feel very strongly, and I feel strongly also about reaching out to everyone, not just those that are already converted, because, you know, I feel it's a challenge to move into the world in our full integrity and ask people to do the same. I hope that, does that answer your question, Alison? So quite long, I'm sorry. It's a difficult one. Can you just say in one minute and the practices that are most likely to build a sense of of hope and optimism. Gratefulness, gratefulness. We start often our work with that. What do you love about nature? What are you grateful for? Who do you love most? What is it that particularly touches you when you're in nature? I think everyone has examples. You know, I brush my dog every night, every morning, and it's such a beautiful gift and I'm so grateful for it. I have young children. 
nature is everywhere in cities in ugly places that is something to be grateful for and from gratefulness comes care because yeah. when we love something and we're grateful for it, we take care you know it's inevitable so that is our hope and that is the place to start oh. Well, unfortunately, that is the place for us to stop now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so very, very much for all that you've brought this this evening, the perspective, the practice, the, the whole context setting and setting of a possibility. There's been a question how, when are you going to train people in your, mm -hmm. your new, um, your new course, your mindfulness based what did the initial stand for exactly? <laughs> mindfulness -based. It's a curious one. Mindfulness-based um, sustainable transformation. Mindfulness-based sustainable transformation. So uh, just before we, in our usual way, ask everyone to unmute and, and say goodbye, just a real welcome to you all to join us for a couple of things. Sunday, this coming Sunday is World Mental Health Day. And the OMC will be offering four practice sessions throughout the day. Um, and please go to the website to find further information about that. And join us next Wednesday for a practice session. But profound thanks, Jeroen, from all of us here. Thank you so much.